the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, the Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 26 of Magic Markets. As ever, with your co-hosts, the Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is currently sitting in his car, as usual, in Canada, but with a bit of a twist because his garage is full. He's now parked in the street, so he's doing some grassroots business development. So if you're in Canada right now, you happen to live in Mo's street, you will now see him in his car and he's getting quite hot. He's not allowed to run the aircon because then we'll all be forced to listen to it. It is summer in Canada, or spring, I don't know, and uh, the man the man is looking quite shiny. There's no blue hoodies here today. There's just uh, a couple of beads of sweat, and we've only just started. Hello, Mo. Ghost, lovely to be on. Uh, you know what? We jump from, in Canada, you jump from cold weather into super hot weather. So spring, but I mean, at the moment, it's, it's sitting at upper 20s, 27, 28 degrees with no aircon means that this podcast, we're definitely going to stick to our time limit instead of running over. <laughs> If I was still in living in four years, I'd point out that you are pushing beads, but I haven't had to say that in a while. So <laughs> you can just enjoy pushing beads there. And the other thing we'll be pushing is, uh, is, is commodity prices. Well, not us, because the world is doing a good job of doing that. And that's the topic of tonight's show is to talk about what's going on in the world of commodities. And ultimately, commodity prices affect Oh, everything, don't they? I mean, they affect individual country economies. They affect exchange rates to an extent. They certainly affect inflation. Uh, they affect consumer spending. They affect stock prices. I mean, it's a pretty wide-ranging impact. And it's something that I think a lot of investors don't really understand. It's certainly not an area of expertise of mine. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to tapping into your brain on the show. You wrote an excellent uh, blog on monos.com, I think it was last week, on commodities. And yeah, just keen to understand a little bit more about that. So Mo, maybe you can start with, you know, you categorize commodities into base metals, softs, you know, just bird's eye view. How do you, how do you kind of go about those categorizations for someone who's relatively new to understanding commodities? Yeah, thanks, Ghost. I mean, effectively, you know, yes, on monos.com, I've, I've written a couple of pieces on, on commodities simply because it's, it's a theme. You know, commodity prices have been running quite hot. We've spoken about it on this show. I mean, I think we referenced lumber prices, for example. South Africa is a commodities-heavy economy, you know, from an export earnings perspective, from the number of jobs that that sector creates, resources is a very important part of the South African economy. It's the same thing up here in Canada. You know, we have a very large natural resources and energy type of sector. We've got a mining sector as well. So it's, it's very topical. And in terms of your question, so how do you actually go about categorizing them? I mean, everyone tends to talk commodities and they just, they tend to look at the, the base metals, for example, or they look at their specific area of exposure. So if you're in the Middle East, commodities means energy, it means oil. Um, it's, it's, 
your, your broad categorizations is you tend to look at energy commodities and there you'd have not just crude oil, but you'd have natural gas, you'd have coal sitting in that particular sector. Uh, I then look at base metals and, and stuff that goes into general infra, if you want to call it that, infrastructure. Uh, and that would be, I mean, the first one would be uh, copper. You know, copper is effectively in everything. It's, it's in, in your conducting metals in terms of electrical uh, wiring and so forth. And so I'd look at alum, uh, aluminum, aluminum, if you want to call it in, in North America, aluminum and copper. And um, I see those as, as both, you know, uh, infrastructure uh, as well as, for example, aluminum is, is, is used in automobiles. So I, I see that as kind of a base metals complex. Uh, obviously, you can bring in things like iron ore, you know, when you're looking at and, and steel, when you're looking at uh, at, at construction. Uh, but for the purposes of my article, I just looked at, uh, at, at aluminum and copper. And then I looked at a grouping of metals or commodities that have become very prevalent more recently uh, in the form of battery technology. And that would be lead, nickel, zinc. You know, there's a whole bunch of them there. Uh, in terms of South Africa, then you're looking at platinum, palladium. Those are used in, in auto catalysts and so specifically has a very large automobiles and a mobility theme to, towards that. There's obviously the precious metals, gold and silver. And then lastly, something that's often overlooked are soft commodities. And soft commodities are agricultural commodities. And simply there, you're looking at wheat, you're looking at corn in South Africa. It's, it's maize prices. Um, but then there's, there are others. There are things like soybeans that I, I didn't even go into. But soybeans are looked at in terms of animal feed. And the reason I like to break it down in those kinds of pillars is that each subset of those commodities will allow you to understand which angles and avenues of the bigger macro picture are actually running hot, where some of the opportunities lie. Uh, and it's a nice way to just try and frame your thinking because the same way you can't put all emerging markets in a bucket, when you talk commodities, there are all of these little nuances that you've got to think about. And as an investor, you really should be looking for where can I extract the most value? What is a more targeted approach to that? Thanks, man. I think what's also important is to understand how these commodities eventually land up in consumer behavior and how we actually spend our money, which is ultimately an enormous driver of the economy. So a great example, you've mentioned some of the commodities there that end up in automobiles. So I'll go with yours. Aluminum was one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the battery tech stuff, obviously. And the reality is that you can see it in car prices. I think it was a JP Morgan report that came out and said the commodities sitting behind car manufacturing up something like 80% and they make up about 10% of the cost of a car. So in other words, it's been about an 8% increase in the manufacturing cost of a new car. And you can see it. I can certainly see it. I managed to, you know, as a massive petrol head, I depress myself on auto trader regularly with what I can afford versus what I actually want. And I can see in used cars that the prices have also significantly jumped. So that's a good example of where the prices are actually pushed through to the end consumer by both the manufacturers, but then also the used car market. So if you're interested in businesses listed in South Africa that are you know, used car businesses, so We Buy Cars is a great example. That's part of transaction capital. You could look at Motus, you could look at CMH. You know, these are businesses where the price of their products has suddenly gotten higher. And often that means that they can make more margin per product, but their input costs didn't necessarily go up. They're still paying their, you know, their rent at the dealership is the same sort of number. So, that's an interesting example of where it can get pushed through. Where it can't get pushed through is in something like poultry. So Astral Foods has been in the headlines nonstop. And they've been very clear with the market that the cost of, of raising chickens has gone through the roof. But they can't pass that on to consumers in South Africa because there's just too much competition in poultry. There's the risk of imports. There's all the other issues around it. And so they are getting squeezed. 
So whilst you know car businesses might do okay out of this, poultry businesses are getting smashed. And, and that's the nuance for investors is to understand where the inflation is and where it can be pushed through, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it, it ties into the whole inflation theme as well because inflation has been one of those things that are, are tied intrinsically to what you've been seeing in the commodity story. Uh, it's also something that I have written about and I think we've spoken about on the show as well. And you've hit the nail on the head specifically when it comes to the ability of businesses to pass those costs on to consumers. Uh, traditionally speaking, in an inflationary type of environment, you would be looking at companies where they'd have a higher ability to pass those costs on to their consumers. But not only that, you'd be also be looking for companies that have the ability to ramp up production or sales, if you want to call it that, without needing to invest a heck of a lot of money in terms of additional capacity and investing in that capacity. So for example, if prices are running hot, maybe in the commodity space, for example, some commodities have a very long lead time. We were talking about this off air just before recording this. And in those instances, prices might stay high for an extended period of time. But the ability for a company to actually extract value from those higher prices is constrained by its ability and lead time to market. Specifically, if you're a large miner, for example, uh, you need to produce more copper. You're going to have to go find that copper in maybe, say, the DRC. You're going to have to get the right government approvals. You're going to have to go and sink a mine shaft. And by the time you actually start producing more of whatever it is, copper in this instance, your ability to extract value from that price may have actually dissipated. So there's that versus lumber, for example. We were talking about lumber not too long ago on the show. And if you look at that, you know, from when we spoke about it to now, lumber prices are, are off almost 30% from their highs. And the reason for this is that there's a very immediate market reaction. I think almost every single lumber mill in North America responding to the high prices has actually moved on to max production. And so that's come through. They say the cure for high prices are high prices. It's why I believe that, you know, the inflation we're seeing now as a rate of change is, is transitory in many respects. Uh, that said, going back to your example in terms of ability to pass it on to consumer, I mean, I think you mentioned uh, the chicken business down in South Africa. And ironically, when it comes to consumer staples, that should theoretically be the place where it's easier to pass through price increases to consumers because demand tends to be relatively inelastic. But it also highlights why you can't just use a, a, a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, for example, you'd need to look at a specific geography. And in South Africa, there are not only pressures in terms of consumers' disposable income, but there's also the threat of, of import substitution specifically in that particular sector, the chicken sector. So it's a lot more nuanced than sometimes the macro arguments tend to, to, to suggest. Uh, but I think that there is an opportunity. We've seen soft commodity prices come off, and that's because maybe your lead time's a lot shorter. But in other commodities, so for example, one we haven't mentioned, which would go into your battery tech metals, would be the likes of lithium, for example. In those kinds of commodities, anything that's going to clean energy, the green economy, those are mega themes that I think have not just a couple of years to run, but maybe a couple of decades to run. And so on that basis, as we always say on the show, yes, you've got to be very sensitive to the price you're paying to get into a theme, to get into an investment. But the underlying longer term macro thesis in those particular sectors looks looks very strong. Yeah, and that elasticity of demand point is really important. So that is why people like to buy food retailers when inflation is higher. Interestingly enough, if you go onto StatsSA and you have a look at their retail trade sales, which is something they publish every month, goes all the way back to like 2000 and something. And you can go and have a look after the sort of 2009 uh, crisis and you'll see there was rampant food inflation. 
but volumes did drop off at a point. So, you know, people will not adjust their, their purchases of food too much, but if prices truly go nuts, then they do. And obviously in staples is when it really hurts, you know, poorer South Africans, poorer people anywhere in the world, really, because there aren't many substitutes out there for the most basic food groups. It's not like people are choosing to buy avocado instead of rice. You know, it's the other way around. And once you can only afford the rice to start with and then it gets incredibly expensive, where do you go from there? So that becomes a really difficult situation for um, for ultimately the poor. But, you know, the RAND has been helpful with that and, uh, and and hopefully it continues that strength. It's actually hurt the mining sector to have the strong RAND. So they would have been doing better if the RAND had kind of stayed weaker. But uh, overall, it's definitely net positive, in my view, for the South African economy. And if tourism starts to recover as well, then just maybe there will be some some kind of recovery there. Uh, I mean, I just want to touch on, you made the point of transitory inflation. And I think it's worth it's worth unpacking that slightly, which, you know, my understanding is that that basically means inflation is here for a, you know, for a good time, not for a long time. So hopefully it's it's just a supply crunch and as the world's supply chains catch up to, you know, this pent-up demand, then prices hopefully normalize. If that's not the case and inflation carries on, then that's not great for stock valuations, is it? Yeah, so I think we need to almost take a step back there because we need to almost look at how we define inflation. You know, when you define inflation the way the Reserve Bank, for example, looks at it, or any monetary authority in the world, they're looking at a rate of change. And it's traditionally your CPI index, and it's on a year-on-year basis. Now, what stands to reason is that if you're looking at it as a rate of change, and we say inflation is transitory, we're really talking about the rate of change. I mean, the likelihood for inflation to spike in the US, for example, is about 4% is that it spikes temporarily because you had low base effects from last year this time. And then once those base effects are worked through, your year-on-year change actually falls all the way back down. It may even temporarily move down to zero or negative in uh, negative territory in, in some specific underlying measures of inflation. We had that with oil, for example. So if you, if you cast your eye back to around last year this time when oil moved into negative territory, your year-on-year change in oil and the impact on inflation would have been negative. It would have been in deflation. But that dip was transitory and now we've got the inverse effect that comes through. So that's what I refer to when I say inflation is transitory is because I'm looking at the rate of change. What it doesn't mean though is that prices come down because we know for example if let's say you know the price of a particular commodity whether it's it's a good some goods on the shelf at pick and pay or Woolworths wherever you're buying your, your, your commodities your groceries those prices tend to be sticky. They move up They adjust and then they go sideways for a long period of time. But there's a downward stickiness to those prices, specifically in markets like South Africa. Prices don't generally adjust downwards and pretty much in the rest of the world. So that's the caveat, I guess, is that inflation as a rate of change might be transitory, but that doesn't mean that the price level actually decreases. Now, why is that important? I want to bring it back. The reason why that is important is that if you look at wage gains. Okay, if you look at inflation, there's the nominal wage gain, but then you've got to offset the inflation component. So, correctly so, if inflation runs very hot for a period of time, the real wage gain is actually a lot lower. And if you track those movements of some of those statistics, certainly here in the US, you will see that wage gains have not been phenomenal and that a lot of the uptick in terms of pent-up demand, the retail sales data that you just spoke about now, is because of 
a couple of factors that are maybe one-shot factors. They're the fact that you've had a pandemic. So those that still had an income were not traveling, they were not eating out. And so that built up a significant buffer of cash, they were then able to deploy into specific markets, now into retail sales, maybe into the real estate market as well. Those whose incomes were maybe a little less secure are also the people who don't have as much bargaining power on their salaries, on their wages. And so as a result, once prices have shifted up, their purchasing power is almost permanently eroded until their salaries and wages can catch up. So that is why, you know, they say the cure for high prices are high prices. But similarly, if you start to see sustained inflation, it comes with very damaging socioeconomic impacts. Uh, and inevitably, the, the literature has proven that inflation tends to hurt the poorest of the poor the hardest. And it's, it's, it's not just because they don't have the disposable income. It's also in terms of the composition of their spending basket. So maybe a last point uh, on this would be in South Africa, for example, your lower LSM groups have a disproportionate exposure to energy or fuel prices because they spend so much of their money on transport. Uh, and so those certain nuances are, are very important to note uh, with the overlay of commodities specifically because South Africa, uh, yes, exports a lot of base metals, a lot of raw materials, but gets hammered very hard in terms of import prices from an energy perspective. So let's bring it back to a couple of stock ideas or ways to manage this in a portfolio. I'm just thinking now, so if inflation in South Africa, for example, especially in staples, was to kind of keep running high and potentially interest rates go up over the next, say, 12 months, I would think that's not great news for the likes of a Capitec, for example, which has a lot of credit exposure to low LSM groups who are now spending more money on food and technically are now spending more on their debt. And, and that the only outcome of that can be a higher credit loss ratio, ultimately. So I suppose that's a good example of, I mean, firstly, it's not a business I have in my portfolio because I just don't like the valuation, but I especially wouldn't want to hold it if there was high food inflation and, and increasing rates, I think. An example of something that you might want to hold as an inflation hedge, I mean, gold is the common example, but actually from your blog I picked up, it's not necessarily the best inflation hedge. It actually looked as though something like copper is potentially much more effective and is that something that you've seen people use or perhaps you've used in your own portfolio? I mean, are there sort of copper referencing assets that people can add to a portfolio and, and it helps as a hedge against inflation and, and equity prices coming down as a result? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, you're referring to a particular chart that I had on the blog, uh, which I got off of Bloomberg. Uh, and what the chart looks at simplistically is it looks at the correlation between inflation or CPI in the US versus underlying commodities, kind of the commodities we spoke about. So how does how does the S&P 500 perform in an inflationary cycle? You know, what gives you the higher beta exposure to an inflation theme? And stocks are great. Gold's probably a little bit better. And, and, and caveat out there again to the listeners is that correlations are not telling you anything about causality. Remember that Commodities might be causing the run-up in inflation, but also correlations are not static over time. So sometimes they run a lot stronger, sometimes a lot weaker. So you've got to look at some of those technicalities. But you're right. I think gold traditionally has been a lot more correlated and offering a higher beta to the inflation story. But certainly things like energy, things like copper uh, have a much higher beta or sensitivity to run-ups in inflation. And in a South African context, you know, you'd be picking up base metals miners for that kind of exposure. In fact, in South Africa in general, the fact that you're still 
theoretically seen as a commodity heavy exporter economy would mean that the RAND's performance is intrinsically linked to that entire commodities story, certainly on, on a tactical uh, basis and then also based on whatever your long term view is. Um, in terms of going back to your previous comments around sectors you might want to avoid, bear in mind that policymakers, and I know this from a South African context specifically, tend to look through some of this volatility. If you're looking at South African inflation, it hasn't thus far, in terms of data we've seen, it hasn't tracked what you've seen in the US. In the US, you've actually seen this massive pump up in terms of headline inflation. In South Africa, I think we've, we've got another data print later in this week based on when we're recording this particular interview, but you haven't yet seen the uptick in inflation. And bear in mind that inflation is currently sitting around the bottom end of the Reserve Bank's 3 to 6% band. So for as long as you're comfortably within that band for as long as you're not at risk of shooting through the upper end of that band, the Reserve Bank does have the ability to keep policy reasonably accommodative. And the reason for this is bear in mind that the South African economy, based on its potential growth and where it should be able to go, is is, is running well below par. And so you wouldn't necessarily want to impose a monetary restriction on that economy if inflation in aggregate doesn't look as though it's going completely out of control. So it's a fine balance. Uh, but for now, I guess the fact that you haven't seen the inflation tick up in, in South Africa as aggressively as you've seen it in the U.S. Also, I guess, related to the fact that you haven't had these stimmy checks flying around in, in South Africa uh, is maybe a saving grace in that maybe policymakers have some scope to keep rates flatter for an extended period of time. So I guess we'll need to watch out for MPC commentary around their expectations, obviously, of rate increases, because I think their previous guidance was that we would see a couple this year, but perhaps you know, perhaps we won't for all the very sensible reasons you, you've just pointed out there. And, and everyone in the market will need to obviously keep a bit of an eye on that. Uh, Mo, that's probably as much as we've got time for this week. And so thank you for that. And I think I would really encourage anyone who is listening to this, go and read Mo's work on monos.com on commodities. I learned a lot from literally one blog post and it's really a, it's really a great read. Go check it out. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you. And, and Mo, we look forward to doing this again next week. Thanks so much, Ghost. Again, thanks for, for the listeners. Uh, you guys are what make this great. I mean, just before we sign off, you know, we've been picking up a, a couple of great reviews uh, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. So wherever you're actually picking this podcast up from, you'll find it on all major podcast players. Go out there, uh, give us a great rating, leave us your comments if you love the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. You are what makes the show great. And again, we'll chat to you next week, I guess, same time, same place. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.